that I would like to share with you where I come from. Uh, I am originally from the south of Ireland, uh, a little village outside Monaghan Town, uh, about a few miles outside of called Ballinode. And there was six of us in the family. Can you imagine my poor mother if she had six of us? Uh, there was three boys and there was three girls, and I was right in the middle, because uh, I was a twin. And, um, of course, there was always... The best thing about three and three was it was good teams for fighting, and the girls were always the winners. <laughs> but, you know, we were brought up there uh, in a Christian home uh, in the south of Ireland, and we went to every single mission... We went to every single children's meeting in the area. Down in the south, uh, we always were supporting each other uh, because there were so few of us. There's a verse in the Bible in Zechariah chapter uh, 3, verse 2, and it says, Is not this a brand plucked from the burning? This one that stands before you tonight is a brand plucked from the burning. Physically, my life was preserved. As a toddler, um, I was involved in a fire accident and my mother and my brother uh, literally plucked me from the fire. And to this very day, I have the scar on my hand of that fire accident. You know, I can tell you that God preserved my life. My life could have been taken but God. Spiritually, my life was preserved. Spiritually, my life was privileged. You see, being brought up in a Christian home didn't make me a Christian. God rescued me from spiritual ruin, from death and destruction. God ruined, saved me from going to that terrible place called hell. And in a second sense, I was that brand plucked from the burning. I was brought up with so many privileges. I was brought up in a Christian home. But I want to focus on one of the privileges that I enjoyed. I had a godly pastor. And you know, he had a burden for my soul, as he had for the souls of all of us in that church. And you know, because of that burden, he organized a mission. It was in a little portable hall in a field along the side of a road. It was pretty well despised by the world, but God was in that place. And you know, as we sat in that mission night after night, uh, I came under deep conviction of sin. I can remember uh, sensing God, God's presence in those meetings. And you know, there was a real fear that gripped those meetings. And there was a fear that gripped my heart. You see, I would have assessed myself as a good person. Uh, I would have said that I didn't really do too much wrong. I went along to church and I was a pretty good child. My mother mightn't say that, but I'll say that anyway. But you know, I was good less because the Bible tells us that there's none good but God. I was a God-less person because God wasn't in my life. I was without God. I was religious. If religion could get you to heaven, I went to every church meeting. I went to every prayer meeting. I, went, I read the Bible. I went to Sunday school. 
I went to children's meetings. I went to every single thing uh, that was religious. But I was not righteous before a holy God. You see, I knew all the stuff in my head, but I did not know the Savior. As I sat in that meeting that night, and there was a fear that gripped me that that might be my last opportunity to get right with God. And I knew that if I had gone out through the door of that little mission hall, yes, despised by the world, but God was there. And I could sense uh, the presence and the power of God. And I'm so thankful that God strove with me, God spoke to me, God showed me uh, how lost I was. Uh, That night, uh, it's a night that I will never, ever forget because I was totally transformed. That night, the the weight of my sin uh, weighed me down very heavily, and I was very troubled. That night, the Savior's love gripped me in a way that it had never done before. You see, as I looked at the scar on my hand, it was there because of an accident. But you know, as I saw the Savior with his hands outstretched and the scars of the nails in his hand, I knew it was no accident. I knew that the cruel cross was no mistake, that the Father had planned it for my sake. And that night, the Savior, the truth of that love, uh, gripped me afresh. And that night, I found myself on my knees, crying out to God for mercy. And I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ that night as my Savior. That night, I was totally transformed by the power of God. As the hymn writer put it, it's not by effort of my own. Sin's dominion crushed and broken by the power of God alone. My life was preserved. My life was privileged. But my life was purchased. That night, I became a new creature in Christ Jesus, All the old things passed away. In fact, the next morning when I woke up, I thought I was in a new world. I thought I was living in a different world because the grass around seemed greener and the sky above seemed bluer. But you know, nothing had really changed in the world, but God had changed me. And we were singing that hymn, What a Wonderful Change in My Life Has Been Wrought since Jesus came into my heart. That night, my name uh, was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That night, I got a new desire for the Word of God. You see, I started to read the Bible, but the Bible started to read me. And I had absolutely no doubt whatsoever that a mighty work had been accomplished Uh, that night. And you know, as I started to read the Bible, the creator of this universe, God, started to speak to me. I know of no uh, greater joy or nothing more awesome than to sit down with the Word of God and the creator of this universe speaks uh, to us. And you know, as I was reading the Bible, God gave me a confirmation that he had done the work 
And it was in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. Behold, now saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. And you know, that verse has been very precious to me right throughout my life because that gave me the seal of the Spirit, the assurance that God had done the work. Fear not, I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. My life was purchased by precious blood. But you know, my life was full of praise. Uh, As I was going about duties, I think it was a day or two after this, I remember standing thinking, I'm actually singing. And you know, God put a new song in my mouth, even praise uh, to our God. And many times I was about singing because of what Jesus Christ had done for me. He had taken away the burden of my sin. God had a plan for my life, and I want to share with you tonight that plan. Before I was formed in the womb, he had a plan. He had chosen me um, for himself to do something uh, for him. I suppose about uh, one word would describe my life about seven or eight years ago, and that was comfortable. I had a good job. Uh, I had a good home. I had a nice car. Uh, I had a good church family. Everything was very comfortable. But you know, God stepped into that comfort zone and he started to unsettle me. And he started to show me that he had something that he wanted me to do. It was a wee bit like a rumbling appendix. I don't know whether you've ever had that or ever heard of it. Uh, but the call of God kept coming to me and I would think about it and then it would fade into the background. But about seven or eight years ago, uh, it came with such force and severity that I was forced to ask a question. What do you want me to do? You see, in the church, I was involved in helping in everything that was in the church. I was in the children's work, I was in the ladies' work, uh, I was in the elderly work, and I was very active. Uh, Although I had a job, I was very, very active. But you know, I couldn't give my full self to God's work when I was distracted and divided by my work. And we were talking about it this morning, we sing that hymn, All to Jesus, I Surrender. All to him I freely give. But you see, that wasn't the case with me. There were parts of my heart that God did not have control over. And you know, at that time, I just said, Lord, I surrender all. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with your love and power. Let your blessing fall on me. Between what God wanted to give to me And between what God wanted to do with me, there was one step of obedience. And I can tell you today, I am so blessed by God to have been called out of that comfort zone and to do something for him. About that time, there was something going around in my head 
Some people think there's not a lot between my ears, but at times there is stuff, good stuff there. And about that time, there was the chords of a song, and there was just about six words of this song that I knew, Hear the Call of the Kingdom. It was a wee bit like as if the record had got stuck. That's all I knew of this, and they kept going round and round and round. Hear the call of the kingdom. So I went to our friend, the internet, and I put those words in, and it brought up uh, a song here, the call of the kingdom to reach out to the lost with the Father's compassion and the wonder of the cross. And the chorus goes, King of heaven, we will answer the call, we will follow, bringing hope to the world, filled with passion, filled with power to proclaim salvation in Jesus' name. You see, at that stage, I heard the call of the kingdom. And that was a very clear call uh, to me. But you know, God left me in absolutely no doubt whatsoever what he wanted me to do. God was communicating to me as I read the scriptures. And I was reading in Samuel, 2 Samuel, and a verse that I read at that time was, Go and do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And you know, as I started to do a heart search, I started to ask God to show me what was in my heart. It's maybe a bit of a scary thing to ask God to show you what your heart's uh, really like, because sometimes there are things in our hearts that are not very nice. But I asked God to show me what was in my heart. And again, a few weeks later, I opened the Word of God at First Chronicles, and again, Uh, Pretty much the same words, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. What an encouragement that was to me to know that God was with me. Another verse that became very significant at that time was Acts chapter 9, verse 6. Arise and go into the city and it shall be told you uh, what you must do. I'll come back to that in a while. God was communicating uh, with my heart that he wanted me to do something for him. I attended a convention, Bangor Convention 2013, and again, God spoke to my heart. Uh, The speaker got up and he read from Jonah chapter 1, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, that we perish not. It was a missionary meeting in the afternoon in Bangor. And, you know, as I sat that afternoon and listened uh, to three different missionaries reporting from over the world, my heart was broken when I saw the great needs. And, you know, as the man spoke, he spoke about those who were in the boat, sleeping. I never even thought about that, Bertie, but there you are. About those people who were sleeping, in the boat, and that was the picture I had of myself that afternoon. I was in this boat and I was sleeping, and right around this boat there were people who were perishing. They were sinking deep in sin, sinking to rise no more. And God challenged me that afternoon what was I going to do about it? You see, I had heard the call of the kingdom. 
But that afternoon, I heard the cry of the lost. I heard the cry of souls dying uh, without the Savior. God communicated in many ways. I went from that convention on a Tuesday to my own church uh, on a Sunday. And the the man got up and spoke from Luke chapter 5 about Peter being recommissioned. And he spoke all about getting out of the boat, getting out of your comfort zone. And you know, it was a tailor-made sermon as God spoke again to me uh, that morning. God made it very clear that he wanted me to give up my job and to go and to serve him. And at that time, I had absolutely no idea where God was going to lead me. But I was willing. I reckoned that if God had guided me thus far, uh, I could leave that with him and he would guide and direct me. About that time, there was a compulsion upon me. Uh, I had a deep inner thought that I should read a book about revival. And this thought wouldn't go away. It was there for some time. So I went to my bookshelf and I searched for this book. It was about revival. And you know, as I searched the bookshelf, I couldn't actually find the book. Uh, But I came across a book and it was an old uh, worn looking book. And it was called Spirit of Faith. And I thought, well, it was by I.R. Govan. So he was Faith Mission. And I knew this uh, book about revival was to do with Faith Mission, Duncan Campbell. So I thought, well, maybe that's the book. So I started to read this book. And when I got to uh, page uh, 22, it talked about pilgrim days in Donegal. In the past, I had worked in Donegal. In the faith mission, I always say I got kicked out for bad behavior. But in this book, it talked about three sisters, and I have two other sisters. And these three sisters had gone to Donegal eh, on their holidays. And you know, I felt that I was reading my life story. As I read this book, everything in it about this girl that had been working in Donegal in missions, she gave up her job, or she gave up missions, and she went back into a circular employment and that's what I did uh, I left the mission and I went back uh, into uh, ordinary work but God came again and called her back into the faith mission and this is what she read friends were astonished with Miss Cameron's announcement her intention of returning to the work uh, at your age Uh, they said you should be making provision for the future. And then over on the other page it said, for her best days were yet before her. And I believe that God again was speaking uh, and showing me that he wanted me uh, to go back into the mission. But this is what really amazes me about God. I went back to that very same bookshelf and I've no idea why, Uh, But I started to look through the books again. And here I came across the book, Channel of Revival. It was there all the time. And I would, would imagine that I'm a pretty methodical person. But I believe that God had that hidden from my view because he wanted me to read this book first and then this one. So I started this book. And I want to tell you tonight, if you want a burden for revival... 
I can highly recommend that you read this book. After I read this book, I cried for three days solid, praying and asking God to send a revival to our land. So if you want to be burdened, I would suggest it's called Channel of Revival. But when I got to page 90, it was about Duncan Campbell, who had been in the faith mission. He had left the faith mission, and God was calling him back into the faith mission. And again, I felt that I was reading my life story. So after that, I contacted the faith mission, and I shared with them how God was leading me. Three of them came and interviewed me. And you know, after they left, I knew deep in my heart, this is what God wants me to do. The next morning when I got up to read in my quiet time, God spoke. And he spoke through the words in Acts chapter 10, verse 19. The Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore and get thee down with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. There's absolutely no way that I could ever doubt that God had called, was calling me back into the faith mission. At that time, I sort of did a wee bit of uh, discussion with God about it all, and I said, well, God, maybe if you would just let me know where I'm going to be, uh, then I'll give up my job. But this time, absolutely nobody knew anything about this whole thing. In fact, I had given my job up, and nobody knew. You see, I didn't want out any outside influence in my decision. I wanted it to be completely between me and God. Because, you know, some very well-meaning people would have said to me, just like, well, you know, there, why would you bother going and what are you going to do? What are you, how are you going to live? And well-meaning people can sometimes put a wee spoke uh, against what God is asking you to do. I uh, was sure that God was leading me. And I started to pray and ask God, uh, where did he want me to go? And I was in a ladies' meeting, and this young girl got up to share her testimony. And she said, I want to read a verse uh, before she sat down and the verse was Acts chapter 9 verse 6 arise and go to the city and it shall be told you what you must do that night the verse nearly uh, it stopped at the word city and so did my heart uh, I nearly had a heart attack thinking city because I was quite happy to go in rural evangelism do an outreach in country areas I loved that but the word city especially when you come from the country it really, I didn't really want to think about it. But again and again, God brought before me that very verse, arise and go to the city. So I started to ask the Lord, well, what city? Where are you going to take me? Faith mission or rural evangelism? It just didn't all stack up at the time. But you see, God makes absolutely no mistakes. And you know, I was driving into West Belfast one, one day and on the Black Mountain there was a message. Uh, the message was uh, put up there by a Republican movement. Um, it was time for truth. And often they would have put messages on the mountain. And as I drove in that morning, the Holy Spirit riveted to my heart uh, that those four words, time 
uh, for truth. And I knew then that God wanted me to go and work for him in West Belfast, uh, to tell people in West Belfast the truth, the word of God, to share with them the love of Jesus. Uh, To be quite honest with you, I suppose I was a wee bit apprehensive. Many times I had driven up the West Link and looked up into the city, and I used to say to the Lord, Lord, who's ever going to reach into that area? But never once did I ever think that God would ask me uh, to go to the city and tell the people the truth. Um, as I went to West Belfast, I used to drive into West Belfast and sit in the car below that message on the mountain. And I used to say to the Lord, Lord, you've told me to arise and to go and that you're going to tell me what to do. And I said, well, Lord, here I am. You may tell me because I don't really know what to do. And one of those days when I was sitting uh, praying in the car, a thought came into my mind uh, and it was very deep, penetrating thought that I should get a tract or a leaflet written with that message uh, and the picture of the mountain and put scripture on it and bring it around West Belfast. Uh, so I started, I came in the next day to take a photograph of the mountain with the message, but it was gone. Uh, so I went on to the internet and I did a search and I came up with the picture. There was a copyright on it. So I tried to contact Uh, the people uh, to ask permission and I think it was about three or four weeks I couldn't get any joy no email uh, no telephone numbers nothing I couldn't really get any response from them and then you know one day I was on the Falls Road and I was probably a wee bit frustrated uh, and I thought there's the Sinn Féin office and I'm going to go in there and ask them if they can help me so I went into the Sinn Féin office and I sat down there was probably about 30 35 people in this room And, you know, as I went in and sat down, it was only when I sat down that I thought, what on earth am I going to say here? These people probably think I'm crazy. Uh, I wasn't there about benefits. I wasn't there about uh, problems on the street. I wasn't there about anything like that. But you know what amazes me again, how God had gone before. And as I sat down, there was about three or four doors in this place. And some people got out and walked through that door. And some people went through that door. And some people went through that door. I don't think it was smelly, but I saw it as God going before. And then a girl came over and asked me, could you help me? And I said, well, I hope you can. And I shared with her that I wanted to use uh, the slogan, Time for Truth. And she points to a man away over and she says, go to that man there. So I went over and I explained to him that I wanted to use uh, the slogan, Time for Truth. And I wanted to put it on a leaflet Uh, with verses from the Bible. Um, And before it finished, he said, I told him I wanted to take it around West Belfast. He says, you're welcome. And I thought, well, he mustn't really understand. So I started again and said, you know, we want the people in West Belfast to know the truth. I says, this is the truth from God's holy word, the Bible. And he says, oh, no, no, we want the truth. We want the truth from the government. We want the truth from the UDA. We want the truth from the UVF. And it goes, yes, we're bringing the truth from God's word. And, you know, we were granted permission uh, to get this little leaflet printed. Uh, I sent it down to Dick Hugh, uh, and he wrote absolutely amazing leaflet uh, telling the people of West Belfast how they can know peace with God, how they can be right 
with God. And that little leaflet has been absolutely amazing. Many, many times when I've gone to people's doors and I say to them, do you recognize this picture? And they'll have a wee look at it and they'll say, oh yes, come on in. You can see that from my back window or my back living room. And before they know it, I'm standing in their home with a little leaflet that will explain clearly to them how they can find true forgiveness, true peace, and true joy and satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think that little leaflet has ever been refused. And you know, that is what God does when we walk in complete obedience to him. When I first went to West Belfast, it was a wee bit like looking at a jigsaw box. If you've ever opened a jigsaw box and looked inside and all the pieces are all jumbled and muddled up, it's a mess. You know, when I looked into West Belfast, it was a mess. The people are so broken. Their lives are so broken. In one week, there was 25 suicides of young people. And every single week I go to West Belfast, I hear of more suicides and more suicides of young people. You see, they're very messed up because of the religious system that they were brought up with. They believe that if they do good, if they pay, pray, and do all those things, that that's going to get them to heaven. And then there's those that have rebelled against the religious system that they were brought up. And often that drives them to turn to drugs, abuse, alcohol, every single vice that the enemy is sitting there waiting to offer them. You see, in West Belfast, it's a real mess. So what do I actually do? Well, I go door to door, sharing the gospel with anybody and everybody that will listen. And even if I don't get the opportunity to share with them on the door, I get the opportunity often to leave a little leaflet like this one with them. You know, one day I was doing the doors and this man had a pretty nice, he was a wee bit out of the city, um, and he had a pretty nice uh, steps up to his door. Uh, They weren't very smooth, so when I was going up the steps, I actually fell. Uh, I felt a wee bit sorry for myself because my knees were sore. And then I turned round, and it wasn't like a nice, smooth thing. It was a wee bit bumpy, and I turned round, and I sat into a puddle. So I was feeling a wee bit sorry for myself. I was feeling sore, and there was a girl in the car, and she was laughing at me. But a few days after that, God spoke to me, not just about my sore knees, but about the man who lived in the house, and he told me that I should be praying. And God brought me to my knees on his doorstep so that I would pray for that man. And a very strange thing happened. I was in a meeting, and I happened to mention, ask somebody about him. He'd be pretty well known in West Belfast. And the man didn't say very much, but later on I was heard in a conversation him, this other man, asking people to pray for that man. Isn't that absolutely amazing how God brought me to his doorstep, brought me to my knees uh, to pray uh, for that man? We've been on the doors there for seven years now, and God is definitely working 
in West Belfast, while there's a lot of conflict and there's a lot of attacks, God is definitely working. And I want to share with you one more thing. Um, When you get a jigsaw box, you always look at the picture. And I call West Belfast God's jigsaw. And when you look at the picture uh, and you look in the box, they're very, very different. But I believe God gave me a picture of what he wants to do in West Belfast. About 2016, June, uh, again, I was reading the Bible and a verse that came before me was, the name of the city from that day shall be called the Lord is there. And I was super excited because I wrote this verse out and put it up in my fridge. The name of the city from that day shall be called the Lord is there. If you looked at West Belfast, you would never, ever say God is there. The devil's there. He's complete control of that area. But you know, as I was thinking about this verse, I was starting to read and cross-reference, and God led me to another verse. Isaiah chapter 59, so many shall fear the name of the Lord from the West. I could hardly believe it. I had been a few years in West Belf at that stage, and here God was bringing me to a verse that was telling me that one day the name of God will be in West Belfast. And in fact, one of the uh, IRA men told me that he had been praying that where that message went on the mountain, that one day the message of the cross would be on that mountain. But you know, again, I was reading again, and I was, uh, went back to the verse before it in verse uh, 35. At the west side, 4,500 with three gates, one for Gad, one for Asher, one for Naphtali. And I knew when I was reading that it was significant, but I would absolutely no idea why it was significant. Until one day, I was standing at my front door, and the name of this place in West Belfast came into my mind. It was Casement, and I had heard people talking about Casement when I first went to West Belfast, but I hadn't a clue uh, coming from the country, and they used to be amazed that I didn't know where all these places were that they mentioned. But it, was in, it, was, it went into my mind. Uh, I didn't really give it much thought after that. Uh, they shared with me that they had a vision that God was going to come uh, to this place. Back to my front door, I was standing there, and the name of this place came into my head. And when God does this, he brings it in with a real force. And I was going down to Tesco's. And when I went to Tesco's, the headline of the paper was, proposed new redevelopment of Casement Park. And I felt again that God was showing me that something big is going to happen at Casement Park. I was really excited. Uh, When I came back to the house, there was a map of West Belfast, and the area that came right up to me was Andersonstown. And I felt again God was showing me that something big, there's going to be a movement of the Holy Spirit someday in West Belfast, and I believe that God's going to save many of these uh, Roman Catholic people who've been brought up with such darkness, and I believe he's going to set them free. So I thought one day I'll have to go down and visit Caseman Park just to see what it's like. So I went down, there's a social club at the side of it, and I went in, a bit like at the pub, and I went in to the men in the pub, and I told them that God was coming, And they all looked at me as if I was spaced out, and I said, no, definitely God's going to come here. 
And I went on down and I had a wee look through all these windows and I didn't actually realise that Casement Park is an overgrown wasteland. And you know, I went back up to the gate, you can't really see it, and I went up there and I prayed. And again, God spoke to me and told me that he would make uh, that place uh, a wilderness like the Garden of the Lord, like the Garden of Eden. I have so many stories that I could tell you tonight about how God has worked and what he's going to do uh, in the West. You know, God wants to reach into these broken, bruised, wounded, sad, sorry lives in West Belfast. And I just counted a real privilege and a real honor to be called to work with such broken, lovely people. When I left uh, home way back all those years ago, my pastor gave me a verse. And I would just like to read it to you tonight. When I am, when I am dying, how glad I shall be that the lamp of my life has been blazed out for thee. I shall not regret one thing that I give, money or time, one sinner to save. I shall not mind that the way has been rough, that thy blessed feet led the way for me is enough. When I am dying, how glad I shall be that the lamp of my life was blazed out for thee. Thank you. Well, I wouldn't attempt to add anything to that tonight. The thought, one thought that came to me there that when when this revival breaks, of course, there'll be those of you here tonight who don't believe really that revival's coming. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to those who do believe in the heart that revival's coming to Ireland. When it does come, and we are seeing the drops, not only here, but across the land, Naomi will be in place. She'll be in the place. God has her in that place for the time ahead. We're friends here from Donegal tonight, recently converted some. They'll be in that place for God. With Donald from Lurgan the other day, Martin this morning, them people are being put in place to work amongst their people when God begins to move. And let me ask you a question tonight. Are you in the place of God where he wants you to be? Have you any bias towards the Catholic people? Or have you love for them? Because if you haven't, you're not in the place of God. He wants you in a place where you have a testimony that you're working amongst them and you're there that whenever the move comes that you can go to their homes and you can tell them about the Lord Jesus. I trust that we'll all be in the place of God. Ask the Lord to put you in that place because it's coming and he needs workers and he needs people. Now, Naomi said two things and I'm going to, we're going to sing a hymn in a minute. She said, uh, I was a troubled soul 
Are you a troubled soul tonight? Just be honest. Are you troubled tonight? Are you you a sinner here and you're troubled? Well, that trouble can end tonight, you know. If you want to come and seek the Lord. For he's the great God that will take the trouble away. Are you a saint of God here tonight and you're troubled? That things that you need to deal with in your life? Well, this is the time to do it now. Tonight's the time to do it. To start afresh for the Lord tonight from this house. I am a troubled soul. But then she said this. I cried for mercy. Bartimaeus cried for mercy. He didn't ask for sight. First thing he asked for, have mercy. Oh Lord, give me sight that I'll be able to get a wife. Give me sight that I'll be able to get a job. Give me sight that I'll be able to have pleasure. Give me a sight that I could get out of this place where I'm lying begging all my days. Give me sight. Didn't ask for that first of all. He said, Lord, have mercy. Mercy. And the Lord will have mercy on you tonight if you call on him for salvation, restoration, whatever it might be, because he's a merciful high priest. Let us just bow in prayer, please. We're not going to sing anymore. Naomi will go out to the back of the church there, and, or the front of the church, and you speak to her. If any of us can be of any help to you, we will. We will. We will be. Father, we thank you again tonight for the call of God in this woman's life. But not only for that, Lord, we thank you that she obeyed it and she's fulfilling it. What wilt thou have me to do? Go into the city and it shall be shown you what to do. What is in thine heart? What is in thine heart? I wonder what's in our hearts tonight. Lord, oh God, you search us the hearts of men. So, Lord, we just thank you, Father, for this word, and we just thank you for our sister. And, our God, we pray for her protection. We pray for your hand upon her, Lord, a lone worker there in the midst of all this, Lord, and only God can keep his hand upon her, Lord. Continue, Lord, to help her and give her wisdom and guidance, understanding and discernment in all things I pray for her, Father, that you'll bless her, Lord, And help us to support her whatever way we can in prayer. Whatever way we can, Lord, our Father, practically. Help us to support the work in West Belfast. For God's going to move on those who have been denied the truth for so long. Praise your name, Lord. You're going to move in power. Lord, God, forgive us, Lord. And in the Protestant community, we have more tracts, we have more books, we have more churches, we have more Bibles. We cry to thee, Lord God, for mercy. Mercy on us, Lord. It'll be the Catholics that'll be evangelizing us. And so, Lord, I pray tonight, Father, that you'll waken us up, shake us, Lord, out of our slumber, shake us out of our sleep, shake us out of our lethargy, shake us out of our pleasures and our, and our jobs and our money, shake us, Lord, to realize that the Lord is coming and only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Jesus will last. And when I am dying, how glad I shall be that the lamp of my life 
has been blazed out for thee. Lord, make that the cry and the call of those tonight that will forsake all and go and follow the Lord into wherever he wants them to be. We ask these things, giving you thanks in the Saviour's name and for his sake. Amen.